On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. A one, two, three, four. Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV. Hey, I'm Sam Shansky, here to help introduce our guest today, American rock and soul artist Maggie Rose. Maggie caught up with Amy Wright to discuss her roots in Maryland, learning the ropes of performance in a Bruce Springsteen tribute band, her evolution into becoming a solo artist, as well as her new album, Have a Seat, her podcast, Salute the Songbird with Maggie Rose, and much more. Clearly, Maggie's a very productive woman, and there's a lot to cover. So let's get to it. You're listening to Insights by Diddy TV. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. I think I see the water back there. Where are you hanging out right now? I'm up on the Chesapeake right now. I'm originally from Maryland. So my husband and I came up before the holidays and just given the the nature of this year, we stayed up and I've been working remotely and doing my podcast stuff here and writing songs and getting lots of family time in because I don't foresee this opportunity coming up again. Hopefully, hopefully. I spent many years in DC myself, Ronnie and I both did, and we still own a house on Capitol Hill. So I'm familiar with the area, like it's the back of my hand. So how's your home with all the the current events that have unfolded? I was a little worried about it, to be honest with you, because we're not there at the moment, but uh, I think all is well. So fingers crossed that it stays that way. (laughs) Yes. Amen. Amen. And our capital in Nashville as well, which uh, I love so much. We'll we'll return eventually. I just, (laughs) we're not sure when. So you grew up in Maryland and did you sing your whole life? Were you singing as a kid? I was singing as a kid. I didn't grow up in a particularly musical family, but I grew up in a family that was very encouraging of my love of singing and I enjoyed the attention. And I would insist that when my family was having friends over that I would get my performance in before everyone left for the evening. So it was something that I loved to do, but it wasn't really until I got connected with a Bruce Springsteen tribute band when I was 16 that I fell in love with the whole thing, performing and being vulnerable and writing music. So I was a good singer my whole life. And then I became a performer when that opportunity arose. That's kind of interesting. So being in a tribute band, there was a certain expectation. You probably were able to hone your performance skills a little bit better than just being in a regular rock band, I would think. Yes, absolutely. But they were also... They're still the hardest working band I know. They're called the B Street Band, based on the Jersey Shore, uh, not to be confused with the E Street Band. And they are like 25, 30 years my senior. So it was a weird dynamic. And I was a very straight-laced Catholic schoolgirl. I was wearing like sundresses on the stage. And Glenn Stewart, who's the lead of the band and really like strikingly resembles uh, the boss himself, kind of gave me some tough love and was like, Hey, we need to stand. Here's the power stance. And people are coming from work and from all these different places in their life where they're coming to hear this music and escape. And we need to provide that for them. So he 
guided me to what it means to be a performer and provide that experience for people. Um, and I let them do most of the Bruce Springsteen tunes and I didn't do the Patty parts either. I wish I had, but they were kind enough to back me up and help me introduce my original music and essentially open up these sets for them at various bars all over the Jersey shore. And these were salt of the earth people who you know if they weren't into it, I knew it. And if they were, I did too. And I think I started to see what makes people tick and why live music is such an escape for everybody and, and the meaning of it, the importance of it and conveying it. So at what point uh, after, after high school, and I know you went off to college, but there was that moment where you said, I think I want to make music my career. And I know you transitioned to Nashville at one point. What, what was that sort of transition like for you? It was, I was not, I was one of, basically nobody did that in my area. I was one of the few people who actually pursued a career in music. And I had Tommy Matola as an advocate because I had gotten some demos to him when I was a freshman in college at Clemson. And he had heard the songwriting potential. These are songs I would probably never want to willingly share right now. But he invited me to come sing for him in his New York office. I remember I was on my way to econ and I got a call from his assistant. I thought it was a prank call, honestly. And a few weeks later, I was singing these original songs for him. And he then introduced me to James Stroud in Nashville and was the liaison for me and a bunch of people in my network when I first moved to Nashville. So he expedited the process for me and I was lucky to have these experienced people in the industry around me when I decided to make that move. And I had the support of my parents. I had uh, someone investing in me. So I had a pretty soft landing in Nashville, but I was also firmly in the midst of the music row way. And I was on the track of like country radio and making an album of singles because country radio success was so paramount at that point in my career. And it, it wasn't necessarily the biggest time of self-discovery for me as an artist, because I was just on this fast track for releasing that kind of music. So along the way, do you feel like your style has changed and evolved and is maybe you're, maybe you're finding your groove as an artist? Yes. I think it's totally changed. And that's what I love so much about the evolution that I've been able to experience since moving to Nashville, because it's given me almost a rebirth of sorts. I think getting untangled from the, the music row system and the, the country radio way of things and being able to show what makes me multifaceted as a person and a musician has been a really important journey for me. Whereas before there was a lot of pressure on me to have that one single perform well. And I kind of lived and died on the performance of that single. And now I think the music I'm making is able to transcend genre and I can make it with people who I really love. And it's this big collaborative effort where you know, we got to do the live record with Change the Whole Thing. And that was everybody in a room, no isolation booths. The 
sound was super warm and we had the drummers and vocalists all in the same room. And that creates this urgency that was so cool. And we did this record that I'm about to release at Fame Studios and Muscle Shoals. And there's a versatility that I'm able to celebrate now. And I think that just came with the freedom that that followed me becoming fully independent. You know, I, I was listening to your music and by the way, I do love the new album. Is it going to be st- called a seat at the table when it's released? Uh, yes. We're, we're, we've tweaked it a little bit um, because Solange Knowles actually put out an album that was like one of my favorites and that was called that. Um, but it's about inclusivity. So I wanted it to be about inviting people to sit with another and have that conversation. Everyone has a place to sit Um, and and talking it out. Communication is something that I feel we all need so desperately right now and patience to hear each other out. So it's called have a seat. Have a seat. mm -hmm, I think that makes it a little bit more like come to mama. Let's, let's talk this out and you're welcome to sit here, but also like there's a sternness to it that's saying like, the time is now let's sit down and discuss this. Also, I think it's me saying like, I deserve your attention. This is material I'm really proud of. Sit down and hear me out too. I thought it was an incredibly positive message on most of the songs. So I was really enjoying listening to them, but the music just sort of reminded me of a combination of old soul with a modern twist and your voice is so suited for just that powerful soul music. Uh, I was sort of blown away by uh, by that, and I thought it was a little bit of a a new um, avenue for you, and in a in a great one. It, it it is. I love how you've described it because I, I collaborated with Ben Tanner of Alabama Shakes, and I think that they also have that contemporary vibe, but with all those soulful, funky elements that I love. And I made it at a legendary studio that's really like a time capsule in the sense that artists like Aretha and Wilson Pickett and Otis Redding made music in that same room and it looked just like it, Dwayne Allman. Um, But there's a contemporary element to it as well because I'm not trying to recreate what's already been done. I'm trying to give a nod to those things that I love about the music that has come out of that place, but also make it my own and make it fresh. And there's elements of psychedelia in there and themes that I also want to be topical to what's going on now, but stand the test of time. So it's, it's about the communication and about the political things that we're all dealing with right now and channeling all of the emotions that I have catalyzed by that but make it something that people can hear in 30 years and it will also resonate with them then what, what was your favorite experience about fame muscle shoals is just such a great area and fame is a iconic studio i can only imagine recording there but what was that like and what do you have any a story to share from the experience yes uh so Fame is, I mean, there's that wonderful PBS documentary that everyone should go watch and you'll get an idea of the magic that's just come out of the town of Muscle Shoals. But Fame Studios in particular has just this crazy pedigree of musicians who've 
been able to record music there, Rolling Stones. Um, but they tune the speakers, I think, every week so that they're in pristine condition. And it sounds unlike anywhere else when you get to hear back your record in the control room. Um, they haven't changed much about it. Just to meet fire code, there's an axe behind the couch in the control room in case you got to get out. But the tours were cutting a recreation of I'm Your Puppet in Studio B, one of the days that we were tracking. And you could faintly hear it in the control room. And I'm Your Puppet was originally recorded there as well. And I was just like, this would be so cool if somewhere faintly in the background, we can hear that bleeding through because it was just a neat moment in time. I love that band and it's it's just a testament to how great that facility is that they would be just coming there to put a project like that together. Um, but I need to figure out which song we were tracking at the time when they were doing that. And then I'll let you know, maybe we can slightly hear it, but I doubt that's going to happen, especially with Ben Tanner at the helm engineering. You'll have everyone listening for that sound in the background. Right. Really, <laughs> yes. really carefully. You know, one of the favorite songs on the album, and I was listening to it, was Self-Help. Help Myself, yes. Help, yeah. Help Myself. Okay, that's what it is. I, I just love the lyrics in that. And it just sort of, the tongue-in-cheek aspect of it, of uh, we're all trying to fix ourselves on some right. level. And there's so many And like, what do I there. know? Yes. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I, I released I that earlier um, than the rest of the album, because especially during the pandemic, I've been sitting on this project for a little while now, and it has a celebratory tone to the record. So I feel like now is the time uh, to finally let it see the light of day. And I'm super excited. But that one in particular felt just like, a, a love letter to everybody that like, we're all going to get through this. No one knows what's going on. The ambiguity is heavy. And like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but like, at least we can both not know what the hell we're doing together. And it's just about being compassionate for your fellow man. We're all going through tough times and everyone thinks they have the solution, but of course none of us do. We just got to hang in there. <laughs> It was incredibly positive, and I know the last year has been tough on everybody, and I know you were in Nashville, right, when the tornado hit? And, of yes. course, that was literally right before COVID started, and you wrote a song, 2020, um, mm -hmm. and that came out, which I thought was a really um, soulful way to look at uh, the events of that time. Where were you when that happened, and you know how did that really affect you? Uh, last year? So I had just returned from a weekend in New Orleans and it was before the news of the pandemic had broken and I was exhausted from my trip. But my husband, Austin, was super anxious that evening and I think he must have sensed that something was going to happen in East Nashville, which is my community. I mean, I know that you know so many artists who live in that area and there's so much camaraderie there um, and it's a creative hotspot in Nashville. And it was really devastated by this tornado. Yet that day, the primary elections were taking place and everyone was pushed to the same voting center. So we were in line for 
hours and hours. It seemed like all of East Nashville was in that room. And I saw so many people that I knew and everyone just looked shell shocked. And then fast forward to, you know, we lost the basement East, which is a venue where I've had so many album release shows. And that's such an important part of our community as well. And uh, our bar three crow where I've gotten together with my bandmates after many rehearsals was gone. And then our calendar is completely wiped clean. We lose Bill Withers. We lose John Prine, Kenny Rogers, racial tensions start boiling over. And it just felt really so daunting to even think about making music, but that's where we have to answer the call. And we found catharsis in putting this together. And I got the chorus started I, I barely learned to play piano over this pandemic and with different instruments, you can unlock a, an avenue of songwriting. And I found that with piano and just the grief and frustration I was feeling. And then I brought that chorus to Sarah Tomek and brother love and Alex, the dad of them vibes. And we finished the whole song. They helped me arrange the whole thing and flesh it out and we recorded it remotely and it was such a collaborative project because even with the restrictions of what we were dealing with, with the pandemic, I was able to include Ben Tanner, who I did the fame record with and Bobby Holland, who produced change the whole thing. And I had Kyle Whalem out in LA, who's was the bass player on change the whole thing, lay down his part. And it just was really cool to, be able to, in the midst of everything going on, pass this song around and have people put their fingerprints on it and feel like even far apart, we were able to collaborate and make something beautiful. And that's what 2020, the silver lining of 2020 was all about. It was finding the growth in everything that we're all dealing with and the catharsis in creating something and connecting with people in a time where it's so difficult to do so in overcoming those difficulties. Did it feel good just to have something to do also that's creative during that time? Yes. And I think that's uh, also one of the reasons that I decided to accept the challenge of doing this podcast with Osiris. Um, it's called Salute the Songbird. And I get to speak with all my guests are females in the industry who are either executives or musicians or songwriters. And I miss that socialization and that connection that I get when I'm on the road, which is usually constant. And it's made me learn so much about all the trials and tribulations that my peers have also dealt with. And it's given me an excuse to just constantly voraciously be listening to music when I'm researching them, which is always nice to have an excuse to be able to burrow into that. Um, but being able to produce something without the ease of just everyone jumping in the van and going down to Muscle Shoals or even to Starstruck where I recorded so much and getting a bunch of people together, like being such a social creature and having the luxury of living in Nashville with those resources, um, and having those taken away, it was felt triumphant to be able to yield this song and only human as well, um, in spite of it all. 
I love the fact that you're going to be doing this podcast. It's really aimed at women who are in the business and all the successes they've had, but also the obstacles that they've faced. Uh, I think it's a great message for people to hear. And these are some amazing artists I was looking that you may have on your guest list. And I'll let you talk about that in a second. But um, what are some of the obstacles that you faced uh, when you were getting your career started? And maybe now, I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, we earlier, I was sort of brushing over it. But I feel that those obstacles that we refer to are in hindsight obstacles that I'm grateful for because it made me just decide like what's my threshold for bullshit and like what I don't want to tolerate and being in a climate where so few women were getting airplay on radio and just the attitude toward equal representation of women in commercial country Cause I think that there are some like Elizabeth cook and Margot price. And like, there's just this plethora of stellar country females who are doing country their way, but not getting the airplay they deserve that forced me to go find my own lane and to start singing to the people who want to see themselves in me and what I'm about, what I'm doing. So those challenges were abundant and it was frustrating and I was just one person of many dealing with this misrepresentation or lack of representation but it allowed me to almost just begin again and go back to the drawing board and I took a few years after the last label that I was signed to where I was releasing music to country radio had folded to just write and figure out what it is I want to say and who do I want to work with and what makes me happy? And I really believe that I had never sincerely asked myself those questions up until that point when I was, you know, 24, 25 and my world seemingly ended. And um, I'm, I'm so glad that things kind of blew up in my face. I know that sounds silly, but there's a lot of people who wanted to see me succeed, but we just weren't going about it the right way. And, I certainly wasn't thinking about sustainability in music. It was this awareness of this needs to work or all of this is going to go away and all these people will be out of job and like, I won't have a label deal. And I think that that's such a backwards way of approaching meaningful art. And, and at the end of the day, I need to please myself too. And I'm not sure that I was super in love with what I was doing. I think there are a lot of artists, especially when you start your career, uh, folks are telling you what to do and who to be as an artist. And when you can take that moment and really maybe take a step back, but figure out who you are as an artist, I think it starts to really shine in your music. And I, I think it really shines through in this new album. I'm going to tell people to run, get a copy when it's available, but um, it's uh it really, it really, to me, uh, speaks to who you are as an artist and that evolution. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, that's all there is. I think we have to honor who we are in this moment, do our best, and let the world hear it. And it's never going to be 100% perfect. And that, that is the nature of 
making anything subjective like music, but eventually you step away from the painting and that's your last brush stroke and it's time for you to give it away. And I think that I'm giving away something that is very much of the moment for me and it, it belongs to the listeners now. And I hope that it's going to be something people can enjoy and dance to and that it will be medicinal after years of, of just suffering for so many. I, I want this to be something that makes them think of a time where we're going to be able to move on and reflect. And it's, it feels like me right now. And I hope that I feel that way in 10 years, that it's a nice snapshot of this moment. So I have one last question for you. When you're not singing, what do you do for fun? I, when I'm not singing, I love to cook. Uh, I like to play tennis. I've just recently gotten into chess. I'm not very good, but I appreciate, I think it was the Queen's Gambit that got me into that. Um, but I do, I mean, the podcast, <laughs> I know that we talked about that already, but that is, it's what I'm doing for fun. It has me listening to a lot of other conversations. And I think listening is really just a lost art. So it's been nice to just be quiet and hear what other people have to say about their process and what got them there. And I'm finding that there's a lot of consistencies between these amazing women that, that point to why they're successful now and to why they're inspiring. So I'm spending a lot of time with the research and I want to be working out more, but 2021 we'll we'll see that maybe i'll get to my running again playing more tennis we're all excited for 2021 <laughs> right I, I, can't, I can't wait till i have a vaccine and i'm out eating dinner with somebody i don't care <laughs> just yeah, we're, you and me we're gonna be at dinner together and i can't wait to go to my first show that was one of the things about living in nashville also is just for the the studious element of it, I would go out and see live shows multiple nights a week and basement East or just writers rounds. And I hope that um, all the people who moved to Nashville who are trying to get their start before this began, will get to reap the benefits of living in such a wonderful city where that's rampant. Well, we hope to see you down in Memphis at some point, or we'll see you in Nashville because we get up there a lot as well. Maggie, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, new thank Albums you so much. I love what you all do. I love it. You, you introduced me to so many cool artists as well. So thank you. Thank you. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Maggie Rose. Be sure to listen to other Diddy TV podcasts for more from the leaders and legends in Americana and Roots music. And don't forget to visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content and to download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? 
Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.